The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Greetings. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, and we're broadcasting from the EpiPet studio. You know, Doc, everyone's been talking about the lottery since the billion-dollar winner was identified. Did you play the lottery? I did. So did I. Well, I got a lottery story for the rough crowd, and that's R-U-F. Well, it seems that an Oregon couple sent lottery officials a torn-up ticket after their dogs chewed up their ticket. The couple couldn't check the $3 Faro Gold crossword ticket themselves, and they really just wanted to share their story. So they mailed the ticket to lottery officials who put the ticket back together, and it turned out the ticket was a winner. Nathan and Rachel Lament sent in the damaged lottery ticket with a picture of their two dogs. Apple and Jack, ages 11 months and two years old. According to the Oregon Lottery, they said they left the ticket out and the dogs decided it was delicious. Well, Rachel Lament said that her husband thought it was hilarious and somebody might get a good laugh at the very least. He said it's for sure a winner. Well, guess how much the ticket was? How much? It turned out that they won eight bucks. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it covered the cost of the ticket and allowed them to buy another ticket and a little bit more. Uh, Well, the laments couldn't believe they actually would be getting back money despite their dog's antics. Well, as a result, lottery officials now recommend keeping tickets out of your pet's reach. Yeah, well, you know what they say. You got to be in it to win it, dogs and all. I like that. Let me give you a rundown of this week's show. Well, this week on the Pet Buzz, we're talking about the narrow escape of the pet owner resident of the house that Ann Hesch hit with her car. It's official. We have our first case of monkeypox that was transmitted from a human to a dog. And in terms of the I likey of the week, it's all about the bowl, adding bowl boosters to your pet's diet. Also, veterinarian Dr. Mark Sites is here talking about pets and radiology, but first let's talk about cats. We love cats. Well, not every city loves your cat as much as you do. So where can you find the perfect colony of cats and their people? Lawn Starter is going to tell us. Yep. Joining us today. Well, let's just say he's back. He's back. Jeff Herman, the editor in chief at Lawn Starter. Jeff. Welcome back to the Pet Bus. Glad to be here. Well, you know, recently you guys ranked the 2022 best cities for cat lovers. How did you conduct your research and and come to your conclusions? We looked at everything from cat affordability to rental houses to cat sitters to cat cafes to the cost of living in those cities. And then we came up with the top 10 and the bottom 10 of the top 200 largest cities. And it was a really cool mix of cities along the way. We oddly had Orlando as number one. Orlando had more people who have cats and more opportunity for those cat lovers to be able to play with things along the way. Um, It's the best city for access to pet care. 
while owners are out of town too. It has really good access to veterinary care, number seven in the number of emergency animal hospitals, number 33 in vets per 100,000 residents, and number 43 in cat-friendly vets per 100,000 residents. Orlando wow. also has opportunities for homeless cats to get love and potentially be adopted. They're number four in cat cafes, number 28 in animal shelters per 100,000 residents. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that has to do with, you know, the influx of, I mean, Orlando is a huge media market. There's a lot of things going on beside Disney there. I mean, for a long time, it was just known as the, you know, home of Disney and Mickey Mouse. But do you think it has to do with the influx of not only people moving to Florida from the Northeast in various places since COVID, but, you know, even we've had an influx of uh, a lot of Puerto Ricans moving there, uh, how they've built up the sports profile of the city. So do you think all of these contribute to a more modern and dynamic city in Orlando? Absolutely. And because there are so many people who are in the service industries there, they move there as singles in many cases. And when single people move, they move with their families. And sometimes that's cats. Sometimes that's dogs. So there's a lot of people in the service industries who their companions are furry friends. I think hmm. that's a good point. So you had a question, Dr. Fleck. Yeah, you left me with this question. So what's the, um, the worst city? Detroit is the worst city for cat lovers of our 200 cities that we surveyed. And it's because of poor access to veterinary care and pet supplies. Number 146 in cat-friendly vets per 100,000 residents. Number 191 in vets per 100,000 residents. And number 160 in the number of emergency animal hospitals. It's hard to find somewhere to live with a cat in Detroit. It's number 195 in average home square footage. And number 153 in cat-friendly rental properties. And when it comes to cat-friendly hotels, number 179. It's the second highest average cat sitter rate and the 12th highest average of cat insurance premium. So it's, it's just not a lot of opportunity for cat lovers, and it's also costly to live there, too. You know what's really weird? I mean, like, I really have never spent a lot of time in Detroit, and it's only recently that I have visited that state. But, you know, when you think of Detroit, you know, you think of Motown, and you think of like, you know, various images that you see and how and that new show that's out about renovating the, you know what I'm talking about, renovating the poor homes in Detroit. So I would just think after seeing Eight Mile with Eminem and it looks so poor, you would think there'd be tons of cats running around the city. I mean, homeless cats. But it's crazy that it's so expensive. And, and I do know that there are wealthier people who live there as well. But you're giving me a, the evil eye, Doctor. Like, are you like surprised? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 no. You're from Michigan. I, I know, and I'm from the other part of the state, which I'm sure has a much higher ranking. But um, do they have a lot of feral cats there? Do we know that from your studies? They do have feral cats. They have a hard time finding adoptable homes for the cats that they do have too. So that's also a big challenge. But for what surprising to me is that it's the Detroit Lions. So you would think that they would have a vested interest in cats in Detroit, yeah. but apparently they do not. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking to Jeff Herman of Lawn Starter about the 2022 best cities for cat lovers. This is a combination of their research. It's always fascinating to hear these surveys that Lawn Starter does. And we love having Jeff 
as a guest. So Jeff, according to your survey, we're the highest and lowest share of rental properties for cat owners. Well, according to the World Bank, the housing crisis could impact 1.6 billion people by 2025. Shortage of land, lending, labor, and materials are some of the factors fueling the housing crisis. As you know, because you built a deck and remember how much lumber was. So that's 1.6 billion of our three and a half billion? This is, yeah, this is, no, this is from around the world. The World Bank thinks this is going to be a big problem. It's going to impact 1.6 billion people around the world. So, well, there's some other factors. But for pet owners, we know and have known for a really long time that it is very, very, very difficult to find affordable renting or even condos or homes in certain communities with a pet, well, in this case, a cat. The most rental properties for cat owners are in Murfreesville, Tennessee, number one, Peoria, Arizona, number two, Overland Park, Kansas, three, Kansas City, Missouri, four, and Kansas City, Kansas, five. So there is a sweet spot in the Midwest around Kansas City where you can find great rental properties for cats. Also, Murfreesville, Murfreesboro, kind of curious that it's sort of a suburban area. All the places like this seem to be suburban areas. And number one for the worst is Miami. And many things are expensive in Miami, and it's just really hard to find pet rental uh, places that will let you stay with your cat in a rental property in Miami. And then the suburbs around there, Hialeah, Miramar, Pembroke Pines, and Hollywood, they all came in one, two, three, four, five for the fewest places for cat-friendly rental homes. Is that interesting since you have a practice in Miami area? I have a practice close to Hialeah. It's, it's, it's on North Beach, but it's, it's very close to Hialeah. I see quite a few, quite a few cats. There's a ton of feral cats in the area. Um, but statistically, I guess you're right. Um, there are a lot of cats in Miami. There's so many cats in Miami that they have affected the zoo animals at the Miami Zoo. Many of the animals at the Miami Zoo end up with toxoplasmosis. Well, it's one of the cities over the last year that's really had huge inflationary costs. Right. I mean, for rental, etc. Right. So, rentals are what ten thousand so, dollars for a one bedroom apartment. Well, rent, rentals went up forty to fifty percent just in okay. one year. So. so, but you know that I think that's what's so interesting about this because you know I looking at the survey results. You know, it's been a long, long knowledge that it's hard, especially in the San Francisco area, to find an apartment with a dog. I mean, that's just commonplace for people of a certain socioeconomic background or people who work in the tech world. So, I mean, I think Google would probably have a daycare. (laughs) Do you know some of these companies in northern and Northern California would do probably more, but it's so hard to find a place to live. And I don't know if that's landlord insurance or whatever, but I mean, you know, I guess cats, I don't know, maybe they scratch up more floors or walls or what. I mean, it just depends on how you, you take care of them. 
But it, these are such interesting facts. I mean, you know, Kansas is a hotbed of politics right now. So am I surprised? That might be a good thing because there's a bunch of ladies, you know, who have cats. I'm not saying you're crazy. Notice I didn't say that. But there's a lot going on in Kansas right now, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to mention it. Well, Jeff, we have to take a commercial break. Uh, but, you know, Doc and I always have more questions for you. Can you stick around for another segment? You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Hey, I'm Petrendologist Charlotte Reed, and I know you love your dog and you want to treat him well, but with so many treats in the pet marketplace, how do you choose? I look for treats with natural ingredients, not artificial ones or preservatives, and that's why I feed my dogs Hunter's Healthy Treats. You can choose pumpkin, sweet potato, or peanut butter heart-shaped treats. Not only are they good for your dogs, but your dogs will love the taste too. For healthier treats and happier dogs, choose Hunter's Healthy Treats. Hunter's Healthy Treats is a proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Visit Hunter'sHealthyTreats.com. According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Epi-Pet.com. EpiPet is another proud partner of the pet. Buzz. Know what? What? Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look! I think she's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. <laughs> oh, look, they're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. Okay, well, thank you, Jeff, for continuing to hang out with us. We love talking with you about your lawn starter pet research. You had a question yeah, for Jeff. Especially as a veterinarian, I need to ask this question. Can you give us some insight about feline veterinary care from the lawn starter research? When it comes to feline vet care, the Pacific Northwest is the owner's best bet. Four cities from the region, Salem, Oregon, or Eugene, Oregon, Tacoma, Washington, and Seattle, they not only provide great access to vet care in general, but they also have the most vets who specialize in cat-friendly practices. In other words, these vets meet very specific standards for cat care, such as having special equipment for diagnosing and treating feline conditions, or having a separate area in the facility just for cats. What you don't realize is some of these places cater only to cats. I found one in Dallas. I didn't. I passed it a thousand times. I didn't realize it's simply a cat veterinarian, which is very specialized care. Are you surprised? No, and I'm. I'm thinking about as we talk about the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast and just veterinary medicine in general, and and Charlotte's always concerned about this too about the 
monetization for it, the, the cost. Pretty pricey in these areas too. I would guess so. Uh, in my previous job, I worked with eye care and the highest costing eye specialist is in Seattle. So my mm -hmm. guess is that in that area, you're also going to have cat care is going to cost a lot more too. I mean, that's why it's so fun having Jeff here because we end up like in this whole like thought mode, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just thinking, I mean, this is what it's about. How do you live with your pet? And these are some of the considerations that I think as we evolve into becoming more pet aware on a daily basis, you know, it was always like the, your pet was, you know, your thing. You never talked about it. But now you can see how it's really par for the course. It's par for your lifestyle. It's par for your budget. Cat cafes. It's all <laughs> about the cat cafe. Well, it's a fairly new trend of the last decade. Uh, and cat owners love them because they allow them to congregate, be surrounded by cats, and maybe possibly adopt a cat that has become socialized. So what cities have the most and the least cat cafes? Number one is New York for the most cat cafes. Los Angeles is number two. Chicago, number three. Atlanta, number four. Orlando, number five. Surprisingly, Las Vegas is number four. Again, tied Honolulu and Seattle, all tied at number four. But the fewest, that's Scottsdale, Arizona, Rochester, New York, Lakewood, Colorado, Corpus Christi, Texas, and Tampa, Florida. And these are all based on 100,000 residents, you know, the concentration of cat cafes per 100,000 residents. But you know, it's a great way to be able to see cats at play, maybe adopt one, maybe have, you know, some food, not cat food while you're watching the cats play. But, you know, it's a great way to be able to see cats and possibly take one home with you, too. Ever been to a cat cafe to Actor Flack? No. Well, the next time we go to New York, you got to go to this one cat cafe. They serve macarons. Mm -hmm. And they're yummy. Mm -hmm. It's downtown in the Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. And you get to play with the cats. Okay. But I, the, the, it's true because cat people really don't have, unless you're in a cat club, a local cat club where you show cats, cat people really don't interact other than maybe online or sharing. You know, we think of them sharing videos of the crazy cat ladies. You know, we don't think of them getting together. But cat cafes are cool. You can go play with the cats. You can pet them. You can, like, look for one that's up for adoption. A lot of them work with rescues. That's where the cats come from. And they, ha and they serve, you know, some snacks. <laughs> no, no meals, but snacks. They're pretty cool. Doc has a burning question for you. We probably already know this answer because we've probably already discussed it, but maybe he'll surprise us. But what city needs the most help? when it comes to struggling to keep up with their cats in their care. The city that we found that needs the most help is Los Angeles because they just have so many cats that get dumped in boxes at the, at the shelter door. They can't find enough homes for their cats. It's a no-kill shelter city. So they have so many cats and they can't find enough homes for them. And they also have feral cats. So Los Angeles is a city that desperately needs help finding homes for cats and also just finding people who can love the cats that are there. Wow, you never would think that, right? Well, what happened to Detroit? <laughs> well, yeah, the Detroit, but I mean, they're, you know, L.A. is a lot bigger than He's going by hundreds Detroit. of thousands of people. Well, there's, well, yeah, there's hundreds of thousands He's of people. He's just saying, I think you're saying that there's more drop-offs uh, in Los Angeles than there would be in other cities. Absolutely. 
So you have a problem with cats that you can't find enough homes for them. In Detroit, you don't have enough adoption centers for the cats to be dropped off at either. So, you know, it's more a problem in Detroit when it comes to finding homes. But in Los Angeles, you just got so many cats, you just don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And there are a lot of up and coming and established nonprofit organizations, the altruism for cats and other animals and dogs is big in LA. There's just, I think the point Jeff is making is there's just so many of them. And also in LA, people will drop them off. Maybe in Detroit, they won't do it based on population. I I was just going to think that maybe that unplanned pregnancy underneath the house, then the cats just escape and go out and they're feral cats. And if somebody gets them, they get them. Well, that's why spay and neuter is so important. Surely is. Okay, lastly, Jeff, you added some input from experts in your survey. I wasn't included, but that maybe <laughs> next time. You know, it's about the diversification. Um, so what are the top three items cat owners, wherever they live, should have in their homes to enrich their cats? I checked the experts to find those common answers between all of them. And number one is a cat tree. Because this helps cats deal with stress. It doesn't have to be an expensive tree, but, you know, shelves, bookshelves, windows, sills, whatever it takes for them to be up a little bit, that helps them to deal with the stress, particularly if there's a dog in the house. Um, They also love scratching posts because this helps to keep their claws sharp and at the same time just to give them a sense of touch. And cat toys. Lots of cat toys, one expert said. And the one that is a favorite is the fishing pole type toy. The cat toys help the cats to be able to have things to simulate hunting, which is something that they naturally do. So if you have cat food toys, cat puzzles, or cat toys with like that fishing pole, it helps them to simulate their hunting, which helps them to be more active. Uh, Cat toys are great. And I think it's important to met, like Jeff mentioned, you can have lots of toys But you need toys that you can interact with your cat. And, you know, especially when you come home at night and you're tired, you know what? The fishing pole toy is great because as you're watching TV or talking on the phone, you can play with that fishing toy. So you can do two things at one time. And I think that's important because we always are constantly battling the time issues that we have. So I think that's a great thing. I do. You know, and you have to remember those natural instincts to bat and pounce are amazing. And actually you will find that female cats learn earlier to bat and pounce than male cats. Oh. See, didn't know I knew so much about cats. Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us today. But before you go, give us the Lawn Starter website so everybody can learn more. It's lawnstarter.com, but let me leave you with something funny. Jordan Arduin is the writer for this cat study last year and this year. She used to live in Pensacola with her two cats. She just moved to Boulder, Colorado. Big difference for her cats from Pensacola to Boulder, Colorado. What's really cool is that her cats love Boulder. She says they sit in the window and they look at the mountains all day long. So her cats are just so excited to be in Boulder versus Pensacola where it's hot but I just thought that was so cool that our cats really like the move too. Yeah, you know, that that I think that's really, really cool because it kind of, you know, Boulder people are a little bit more au natural. They want to spend more time outside. So it just goes to show you they can't necessarily, I don't know if she has indoor or outdoor cats, but that nature aspect in their life is important. And I think that's why a lot of people today walk their cat on a leash. 
Well, everyone, that was Jeff Herman, one of our favorite guests. He's a dream team member. Uh, dream team members are people we love having on the show that we have a lot of fun with and great conversation. Well, he's the editor in chief of the Evlon Starter, discussing the 2022 best cities for cat lovers. Next, celebrity pet news. Family and friends mourn the passing of actress Anne Hesch. On August 5th, the actor was the only person involved in a severe vehicular accident in which a fire sparked after her Mini Cooper crashed into a residence in the Los Angeles, California neighborhood of Mar Vista, causing a fiery car crash, which took her life, but also caused the destruction of a rental home of Lynn Michelle. Well, according to the Los Angeles Fire Department, it took firefighters over an hour to access and extinguish the fire and get Hesh out of the car. Additionally, the police revealed that the driver of the Mini Cooper, Ann Hesh, had been speeding down a residential street and possibly hit a curb before launching 30 feet into the home. As a result of the crash and subsequent fire, Michelle and her pets had very narrowly escaped physical harm. She has two dogs and a tortoise. But she also lost a lifetime of possessions as well as her business equipment, clothing, basic necessities. So neighbors set up a GoFundMe page and have already raised over $100,000 for her. You know, Hesh leaves behind two sons and possibly a cat who was featured way back when, not such a long time ago in her divorce, some years back, and a dog who was recently seen on her Instagram page after she had a quote unquote rough day. More of the pet buzz up soon, so stay tuned. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And now it's time for the I Likey of the Week. It's genius. It's to die for. Well, you know, I just found out that Wellness Pet Company recently entered into the fresh pet food sector, announcing the expansion of the Wellness Bowl Booster line with new Wellness Bowl Booster Freshly. Focused on complete and balanced nutrition, these recipes are expertly crafted to deliver health benefits pet parents can see with real healthy ingredients selected at the peak of freshness and then frozen to lock in nutrients. Wellness Bowl Boosters Freshly can be served alone as a nutritious meal or as a topper as it is specifically formulated to mix with kibble for a nutritious supercharged bowl. Wellness Bowl Boosters Freshly is available in chicken and butternut squash, beef and carrots, turkey and sweet potatoes, and puppy recipes. Puppy formula is coming soon. Wellness Bowl Boosters Freshly is available at PetSmart, Chewy.com, and later this month at Petco stores around the country. Visit wellnessbowlboostersfreshly.com. I'll make sure to put that website on our social media channels so you can check out the food. It looks delicious. Now it's time for the Pet Buzz Mailbag. You've got mail. This question comes from Ren living in Illinois. Charlotte, we know that you are the queen of Halloween. When is the best time to buy a pet Halloween costume? Well, Ren, I'm really glad that you asked that question 
because I've already started prepping for Halloween. You know, the spookiest time of the year will be here before we know it. Halloween pop-up shops, big box and larger pet stores, as well as online retailers are popular places to shop for costumes for your dog, cats, and other animals. While the best deals truly are after the holiday, you want to buy your costumes now to find the greatest discounts, free shipping, an abundance of sizes, and the largest variety of costumes. And when it comes to dressing up your pet for Halloween, find a costume that fits comfortably, is safe, and is conducive to his or her mobility. And for dogs and cats that don't like costumes, consider a seasonal theme bandana or a leash and collar. And that's the Pet Buzz Mailbag. If it feels like it's hot enough to fry an egg on a sidewalk, it probably is. When it's 86 degrees outside, asphalt can reach a sizzling 135 degrees. Hot enough to cook an egg and your dog's feet. Be safe. Test the sidewalk with your hand. Avoid midday walks and walk in the grass. Bring along water and rest in the shade at the first signs of heat exhaustion, including heavy panting and stumbling. Go to PETA.org for help and information on how to keep your dog safe in hot weather. And now it's time for Global Pet News. And now, Pet Buzz news from around the globe. Monkeypox has continued to spread in the United States and in countries all over the world. But for the first time, a dog has tested positive after its owner showed symptoms. However, a recent report from the Lancet showed evidence that the two patients, both male who lived together, contracted monkeypox and most likely gave the virus to their four-year-old Italian greyhound. The couple arrived at Pite Salpetri Hospital in Paris, France on June 10th with symptoms of monkeypox, including rashes and alterations as well as headaches and fever. The report said that 12 days after the onset of the symptoms, their dog appeared to have the same scabs and lesions that coincided with monkeypox. Using PCR testing protocol and comparing monkeypox virus DNA sequences from the dog with one of the dog's owners, it was confirmed that the dog had monkeypox. The report added that the men said they let the dog sleep in their bed, but had been carefully isolating their pet from having contact with other dogs or humans after they developed symptoms. The Lancet report said that because the dog also had the monkeypox rash, as well as positive PCR test, it confirmed that dogs can contract the actual virus instead of being a simple carrier. This establishes the possibility of human-to-domestic pet transmission. Furthermore, we do not know the risk of transmission from a pet such as a dog to a human. Radiology, also known as diagnostic imaging, is a series of tests that take pictures or images of parts of the body. The field encompasses two areas, diagnostic radiology and interventional radiology that both use radiant energy to diagnose and treat diseases. Today, we're going to talk about radiology and pets. Joining us to talk about such a fascinating topic is veterinarian Dr. Mark Seitz, associate clinical professor at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Mississippi State University. Dr. Seitz, welcome back to the Pet Buzz. We're glad to have you here again. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited. You got a promotion. I did. I did. Lots of stuff happening this year. (laughs) How exciting. 
Well, Dr. Seitz, can you tell us why radiology is so important for our pets? And is radiology for humans similar to pets? And then how is it different? Oh, great question, Miss Charlotte. So it is absolutely essential, especially when pets get sick. Uh, when they do come to the vet, sometimes doctors are really good at figuring out what's going on just based on the exam. But radiology can be thought of as our eyes inside the animal to figure out what's going on and to see what organs are working properly and not working properly. What's neat, it is almost identical to what we see and experience in human medicine. The only difference uh, we can ask humans to cooperate with radiography studies. We can't ask our animals to cooperate. That's really about the only difference. I use human equipment for all the studies I do. Um, so it's pretty neat. So people that can't see us, and I'm a practicing veterinarian, I totally agree with doctor about the issues and trying to have our patients sitting still yes. and in proper positioning so that we can get accurate uh, uh, images. So what is the difference between diagnostic radiology and interventional radiology? There, there's a key difference. Unfortunately, it lies in the name. When we use the word diagnosis, what we're trying to imply is we're uh, looking to discover what's wrong with that animal. Um, yet when we use the word interventional, we are literally intervening, trying to help them. So diagnostic radiology is what we use to figure out what's wrong. And then there are certain things that we can do that are quote unquote minimally invasive uh, to intervene with their problem. For example, if an animal comes in with a urinary blockage, um, we can actually put a stent in. Um, some small pets develop collapsing trachea. We can use interventional radiology to put a stent in their trachea to keep it open and not interfere with their breathing. So that would be the main difference between the two. One is figuring the problem out. The other is helping to solve the problem. Ah, great. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, radiology encompasses more than just x-rays. Radiology is used for a wide range of conditions and is classified depending on the type of radiology and the exact imaging test used. What are some of the various imaging exams? What do they include? Like what kind of equipment? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And that's why sometimes we're starting to use the word diagnostic imaging, which is a mouthful, but still radiology, I think is a fair word to use. The two most common modalities that most people are going to see their private practitioners have are going to be radiographs that are now digital in nature. We don't use plain film a lot anymore, as well as ultrasonography, which doesn't use x-rays at all. It uses sound at a high frequency that we nor our pets can hear, and it's my favorite modality. Uh, at bigger hospitals, like specialty hospitals, we use what most people refer to as CAT scans. Uh, we call it CT now or computed tomography. And it, it seems like the future is now, but we're also using uh, MRI on pets more and more to look inside their brains, their abdomens, their musculoskeletal structures. Um, in reality, there's not an imaging modality you see in humans that isn't used somewhere on pets. Uh, less common ones are things like nuclear medicine, uh, as well as PET scans, but even these are becoming a little bit more common in academic facilities. And as a, as, as a practitioner, a family practitioner, I'm constantly referring, especially to the specialists, for these specialty types of, of uh, imaging, the CAT scans, the MRIs particularly with neurological issues. Oh, yeah. They are so important for neurologic issues. Absolutely. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking about radiology and pets with veterinarian Dr. Mark Seitz of Mississippi State University. Uh, you had a question, Dr. Fleck. 
Yeah, diagnostically, radiology uses these imaging results to identify really a wide range of problems. What are some of the most commonly uh, identifiable problems for pets? Yeah, so they can kind of be thought of by organ system. You know, I'm just listing three brief examples. The most common musculoskeletal problems that we see involve the hips and knees. Dogs get things like hip dysplasia. Uh, they tear their cruciate ligaments like we do. They also um, get problems with their patella where it moves in and out of where it should be. So radiographs are essential at helping to rule out more serious things like fractures, as well as to determine if that animal is experiencing arthritis from some of these conditions. Um, in the abdomen, we see a lot of obstructions. Dogs and cats both love to eat things. And radiographs can usually help us determine if that animal is obstructed 70 to 80% of the time. And then, unfortunately, we do see a lot of breathing problems in animals, either from asthma, bronchitis, or heart failure. And thoracic radiographs, radiographs of the chest, are essential to help figure out what's causing their breathing problems. Well, I'm just curious... I want to know if you can stick around for another segment because Doc and I have some more questions. Absolutely. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. www.epi-pet.com EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Hey, I'm petrendologist Charlotte Reed, and I know you love your dog and you want to treat him well, but with so many treats in the pet marketplace, how do you choose? I look for treats with natural ingredients, not artificial ones or preservatives, and that's why I feed my dogs Hunter's Healthy Treats. You can choose pumpkin, sweet potato, or peanut butter heart-shaped treats. Not only are they good for your dogs, but your dogs will love the taste too. For healthier treats and happier dogs, choose Hunter's Healthy Treats. Hunter's Healthy Treats is a proud partner of the Pet Buzz. Visit Hunter'sHealthyTreats.com. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. We're back with Dr. Mark Seitz of Mississippi State University. We're continuing our fascinating and educational, right, Dr. Fleck? Oh, discussion my goodness, about yes. radiology and yeah. pets. This is marvelous because now it's not going to be as much of a mystery to people when they say, yeah, I heard this is what they're going to do. That's a great idea. Dr. Seitz, I'm concerned or I'm, I'm worried. Is there a safety factor in terms of radiology for pets? What do I need to know as a pet that owner? Yeah, that is an excellent question, Ms. Charlotte. The one thing that I want the pet parents to know overall, uh, x-rays do have an inherent danger with them and that it's ionizing radiation, but the level that we use to obtain x-rays in a vet hospital are incredibly low. 
and uh, therefore very, very safe for pets. The other thing that kind of protects pets, they don't live as long as humans. And so it, they don't live long enough to kind of see the negative effects that could happen because similar to sunlight, the risk from x-rays is cumulative over a lifespan. And so given the fact that they, they get less imaging compared to a human over their life and they don't live as long, their risk for cancer is incredibly low. In fact, I don't know of any studies that have documented an increased risk for cancer with medical imaging. Whereas on the human side, unfortunately, there have been studies that have shown an increased risk for cancer for people who get too many CTs in their life. The only other risk to consider isn't for the pet, but the pet parent. Hopefully it doesn't happen much anymore, but back in the day, we used to have owners hold, which is now we know a big no-no. We do not want anybody who hasn't had special training in radiology helping with the exam. So just make certain, even though they may be curious or want to see it, pet owners should never be back around the x-ray equipment when it's operating because they are getting exposed to x-rays and over their lifetime, that, that could pose a threat. So I wanted to know, Dr. Seitz, how are pets prepped for radiology? Does it vary by conditioning or the imaging device? Like, for example, when I was doing the prep for this interview, I read um, one article about preparation and it said, well, there should be some urine in the bladder or, you know, so that's one thing. Does it vary? I mean, does, does a pet eat the night before or do they have to be anesthetized? Did I say the right word? Mm-hmm during the procedure. Absolutely. Um, so if it's okay, let's briefly talk about radiography and ultrasound, x-rays and ultrasound, because the prep for them is a little different. What I would say is most of the time, x-rays aren't planned. You bring your pet in because they're sick. You didn't plan on that. And then all of a sudden, the vet wants to talk to you about doing an x-ray. And I think what Doc Mike doc mike brought up is super important which is it seems always scary when somebody takes your pet from you to the back but i want you to envision literally what you would experience at a human hospital that's what's happening they're just laying down on a table and somebody's pushing a button and if they're stressed at all we can even give drugs to make them calm because motion is the enemy of x-ray we can't have a lot of motion we want to make certain if we're going to spend that money we spend it wisely and get a good quality study so most of the time there's not really any preparation if it is a planned event. Um, it can be helpful to fast dogs and cats for six to 12 hours from food, but not water. And as you pointed out, a little bit of urine in the bladder is, is a decent thing. So they don't have to go to the bathroom right before, but honestly, most conditions, it, it doesn't matter. We just take what the animal gives us and move on. Now with ultrasound, it's a little bit different. Ultrasounds are usually planned and there are a lot of things that can ruin the quality of that ultrasound. Um, and one is inherent to the animal and that's fur ultrasound can't see through gas and fur traps gas. And so one of the most important things we do to prepare them is shave a really wide area. So we can put that same ultrasound gel on them to look inside their body. Um, with ultrasound, that's when uh, doing some sort of a food fast becomes essential because if the stomach is filled with food and gas, again, it's going to limit what I can see. I'm amazed when I show my students and pet owners the difference between a sedated animal that's fasted and shaved well, their ultrasound images versus one that's not cooperating, not fasted, and the owner doesn't want me to shave a lot of fur. It, it's night and day, and I'd almost rather not even spend their money unless we can do it the right way. I guess for a dog to get an MRI, it would have to be out because of all that noise. Oh, 
Yeah. And so that's a good point for CTs and MRIs. Sedation is essential. We can't do them without heavy sedation or anesthesia if sedation isn't safe for them. But most of the time, those studies can be done with heavy sedation. CTs take less than a minute. In fact, it takes more time to sedate them, put them on the table. And the CT scanners are so fast these days. The MRI takes some time. It takes about 30 minutes to an hour. And so they do have to be under for quite a while to do that. I love this discussion today. It's really going to it's really going to help our pet parents out there. You had a question about money. Is radiology expensive for the pet parents? So, yes and no, it depends on the modality. Uh, when we look at radiographs, I would say it's no more expensive than other routine tests like blood work. Um, it's going to be about the same to a little bit more than the vet's physical exam, so it absolutely adds expense. But for the information you get from it, it's a very high value test. Um, uh, you know, on average, radiographs can cost anywhere from 150 to 250, um, depending on where you're at in the, the country. Um, and when we compare that to, say, an ultrasound, ultrasound is going to be the next most expensive. It can range between three and six hundred dollars. And then CT and MRI is where, unfortunately, it does get really expensive because. Um, some people don't have insurance. A lot of people don't have insurance and we never see the cost. Those tests are a lot more expensive in human medicine, but our insurance pays a big portion. So we never see the cost. So they're still cheaper compared to the human side, but CTs and MRIs can be 1000 to even $3,000, um, to perform on pets. Well, it sounds like pet insurance does cover some of these costs. I mean, so for the 2% of the people that have pet insurance. That was more. Oh, is it more than that now? Well, a study showed about three or four years ago, it was 4% in this country. In the UK, <laughs> it's higher. I think almost 20% of individuals, I'm going to say 16 to 18% in the UK. Yeah. But, you know, their system is very different. It's very government-based. Right. Um, whereas here... You know, and we can get into a debate about insurance, but here we have very few Americans on insurance, and especially now with the economy the way it is, I don't really think. But we're again, going as a practitioner, have. this is so important because this is clearly a diagnostic tool to really help the practitioner through his examination to try to figure out what's wrong with that pet so proper treatment can be applied. And you guys bring up some excellent points. Fortunately, insurance does cover most imaging studies as long as there's a need for them. And it's usually very easy to demonstrate that need. And you're right, Ms. Charlotte, my goodness, I would love to see more people have insurance because there are conditions now that are very routine. I'll, I'll you know, look at dachshunds for a minute. Dachshunds love to rupture a disc in their back. It's a condition my neurosurgeons can fix over 90% of the time. And that animal can go back to walking, perfectly healthy life. But in order to see where to cut, you have to do an MRI and an MRI is expensive. So just the test is 2000. And then when you add surgery, um, obviously we would all love to be able to do that for our pet, especially with a good outcome. But unfortunately there are a lot of people that just don't have those financial means. And that's where insurance can be helpful because different than humans. Um, I just find it's a lot easier of a system to navigate and it's a lot more affordable. My insurance right now on my young, healthy puppy is only $27 a month. I, I wish I paid that for myself, but that's it. $27. My out-of-pocket max is a thousand. All else is covered up to $12,000. So insurance is worth its weight in gold. You know, it's funny because my neighbor, they're an older couple 
Um, they're both retired now. They had a big German Shepherd. The German Shepherd spent just as much time outside, you know, in an enclosed pen and in the home. And they just got a dachshund puppy. And the puppy's really cute. And, um, you know, she's always holding and coddling the puppy. And he, I said, Chuck, you know, do you like the puppy? Are you excited about it? And he was kind of like, well, you know... I can't really, I said, you can't roughhouse with the puppy. And he said, no, I can't. You know, I can't, like, throw a ball. And I mean, yeah, you can throw a ball. I said, but one of the things you really need to think about is you need to think about steps and not having the puppy, like, if it goes on the couch or on the bed. And he's like, why is that? I'm like, you have a dachshund. It, like, moves the wrong way. It'll hurt its back. Big mm-hmm. vet bills are coming. You know, you can't, you have to be, you, that's why it's funny. That's why dachshund people always have their dogs playing with other dachshund And then people. what? More x-rays. Yeah, <laughs> more x-rays. I mean, you know, in, in New York, it was a common dog. So it, it, it was for people who have pets, you weren't surprised by the dachshund folks always, you know, having a, these various tests. Yeah, certain breeds have predilections for things. We can't just pick on on the dachshunds. What about the beagles? You know, mm-hmm. they have some problems with that, too. So, Doc, what else do we need to know? Well, the only other uh, two small things I want to make people aware of, general practitioners are still the backbone of veterinary care in America. They are trained to be able to interpret 90% of the studies that they obtain in their hospital. But for those situations where they may be stumped or it may be an unusual case, there are people like myself, boarded radiologists, who have expertise in basically helping to figure out what's going on with those hard images or hard cases or performing these more advanced tests like CTs and MRIs. And so we are available. Um, It has to be through a consult with your GP, but it's really easy in this day of digital. Uh, A vet in California can send me a set of x-rays on a pet and I can read it here in Mississippi and have a report back in less than an hour. So telemedicine has just made um, specialty availability widespread, which is amazing. And then the other thing that's kind of up and coming uh, is the use of artificial intelligence in imaging. And more and more pets are using artificial intelligence before radiologists just to answer simple questions. So I just want people to be aware of those two next steps that are out there. You may have your GPs, you know, your general practice vets, your family vets using either artificial intelligence or radiology specialists to help provide the very best care they can and not to be afraid of those things, to embrace them because they're only going to help their doctor take the best care of their pets that they can. Hey, Doc, thanks for joining us today. Hey, people might want to talk to you or find out more about you. Have you got a website that we can pass on? Yep, absolutely. So our uh, college website that has our radiology service in it is vetmed.msstate.edu, and I can share it with you guys. And then there's just general information on radiology and the American College of Veterinary Radiology. That's our specialty. It can be found at acvr.org. Um, but there's a lot of good websites that people just Google x-rays for my pet. A lot of people have written really good informative articles to demystify it, make it less scary. That was veterinary Dr. Mark Seitz, associate clinical professor at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Mississippi State University discussing pets and radiology. So I'm a cat and I just moved in with this new human and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. 
Last week, she asked it for Chinese, and guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. You know, now we always like to end the show on a good note, so now it's time for Tell Me Something Good. News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. A dog went missing, and two months later, she was found 500 feet underground. 500 feet? Yes, 500 feet underground. After Rick Haley had just been surveying 2,000 feet of passageway in the Tom Moore Cave System for the Cave Research Foundation. He had overheard that a dog was found inside the cave and needed rescuing. Before returning into the cave, fellow spelunker Jerry Green showed the photo of the dog to neighborhood residents who lived near the cave. One of them recognized the dog as Abby, a neighbor's dog, Poodle Mix, that had gone missing in early June. Green and Hallie both volunteered to venture back into darkness and bring the pup up because most likely she would die down there if she wasn't rescued. Well, when they found her 500 feet underground, she was skinny, matted, and curled up on a slab of cold rock. She was too weak to wag her tail, whimper, or walk. Haley and Keen decided the only way to rescue the wounded dog was to go back down and carry her up. The two men speculated that she might have chased an animal in the cave or was perhaps swept inside during a flash flood. It took the men more than an hour to carefully haul her through low and narrow tunnels to the surface in a padded duffel bag. When the pair surfaced with Abby, her grateful owner, Jeff Bonnert, rushed over to get her and gingerly bring her home. He said that a neighbor had alerted him about the photo taken by Keene. He was flabbergasted to learn that his adventurous dog had been found 500 feet underground two months after she went missing. Well, we're glad that you're home with your family, Abby, and we wish you all the best of health and wellness. Nice we're going to definitely post pictures of Abby's rescue uh, on our social media channels, so check them out. She's a darling dog. Nice story. Well, that's something good. Something very good. Well, you know, it's always too soon to wrap the show, but before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. So next week, we're talking about Fido's Back to School Blues and acupuncture for pets. Doc, will you be so kind as to thank our guest? Special thanks to our guest, Jeff Herman and Dr. Mark Seitz. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And of course, Hunter's Healthy Treats, making yummy, natural, soft-baked treats for dogs of all sizes. If you have a question, write to us at teamatthepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it next week on our show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. But most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.